Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. She's back. Hey, good morning. (laughs) Had to put that in there. (laughs) Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this morning or today. If you're listening to this uh, via podcast later in the day at MyFaithRadio.com. I've never taken a whole week off of radio ever. And so uh, thank you to... My wonderful colleagues and friends, Peter Kapsner and Dan Darling, who uh, covered for me last week. And thank you to each and every one of you who prayed for me uh, as I tended to the concerns of my parents. And so I just thought I would lead off this morning, not only with a word of gratitude to each and every one of you, but a reminder um, of what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, Paul is obviously quoting there Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So the fifth commandment, I think, gets a whole lot of attention um, as we're seeking to raise our kids But um, I guess I'm wondering whether or not you think that these commandments, particularly this one, has like an expiration date. Like, do you arrive at the point, maybe you turn 18, maybe you move out of the house, maybe you uh, get to the point where you don't need your parents' money anymore, or you don't think you do, or you act like you don't. Um, Do you get the sense that you graduate? Did you ever graduate from the fifth commandment? Now, uh, well, don't at me right now, because, yes, I understand that the fullness of the law is fulfilled in Christ. Yes, I recognize we are no longer under the law. If we're in Christ, uh, we are no longer under the law. But we continue to keep the commandments. I mean, Calvin called it the third use of the law, right? So we continue to keep the commandments because we know that God gives them for our good and for his own glory. And so this fifth commandment is relevant no matter how old we are. Well, first of all, we're always children, Right. Um, if you read the New Testament, you hear continual references to people who are um, adults being referred to as children. And so we're always children. Let's keep that in mind. Forever and always, we are children. Um, And honoring our parents is honoring to God. So you don't have a perfect parent other than God. I recognize that. But God is the perfect parent. God never fails. And if God is telling us to honor our parents, then it's honoring to God that we would honor our parents. But what does honor mean? That's probably uh, the conversation where if we were, if we had time to just settle in, that's the conversation where we would settle in this morning. The promise that's associated with the commandment is about us. It's about our life. It's about um, the way in which we will then live in the land that the Lord is giving to us. And it's about living um, in relationship with other people, not just our parents. And so I think that's, that's significant here. So 
what we do or as we do unto our parents is actually multiplied in our own families. If I go and spend uh, a couple of weeks honoring honoring the fact that my parents have reached a stage in life where they need my support, they need my provision, they need me, they need me in ways that I used to very much need them, they need me. Who sees that? Well, my family sees that. My church family sees that. My community sees that. You see that. Um, and so when we talk about the way that following the commandments or living, living in gratitude to God, um, in, in voluntary obedience and submission to God's revealed will, we are not only doing it to honor our parents, we're doing it to honor God before other people. Uh, and so let me just encourage you today, if you haven't, well, Tim Keller puts it this way. <clears throat> he says, um, it's respect for parents that is the basis for every other kind of respect uh, and every other kind of authority throughout the world. Which is to say, if we fail to keep the fifth commandment, we ought not be surprised when we look around and see the world on fire. People disrespecting other uh, expressions of authority or other institutional expressions since the family is the first institution um, ordained by God. So, uh do this. Uh, yes, I know that they can be cranky. I know that they can be disagreeable. I know that they can be um, troublesome. Uh, here's a quick list. Pray for them. Um, forgive them. Seek their forgiveness where necessary. Speak well of them. Speak to them. Uh, esteem them publicly and privately. Seek their wisdom and share the gospel with them. Support them. Provide for them. Um, and yes, they may uh, view you as a rebel. I recognize that. I recognize that. Um, they may not get along with each other, and that may be making your life and your family life miserable. I, I get that. I understand that. Um, here is my declaration. Jesus. Jesus! Sometimes you're just going to have to cry out, Jesus! Uh, in order to keep the fifth commandment. All right, so there you go. We never graduate from it. We're going to transition to a conversation about covid a lot is going on with the coronavirus, not only here in the United States, but around the world. And Zach Jenkins is back from Cedarville University. Next up, my conversation with Zach. Joining me now, Zach Jenkins. He is associate professor of pharmacy practice at Cedarville University. He is also uh, a, uh, he's a doctor of internal medicine and infectious disease. And so, uh, Zach, welcome back. Good morning. I spent my last two weeks um, doing things that uh, are really familiar to you and completely, completely foreign terrain to me. Um, my mom had a heart attack on Memorial Day and then a triple bypass. And so my sister and I have been trading off, uh, you know, two weeks at a time caring for them. But in the middle of all of that, my 86-year-old uh, stepdad, who has COPD, tested positive for the coronavirus. <laughs> so oh, we I'm then sorry. had to separate them. And everybody's doing great. And um, praise be to God. And uh, so we're through that uh, two weeks of quarantine, and he's now pe tested, you know, negative two successive times. And so we feel like we're over the hump and the hurdle. And uh, but anyway, it's been um, man, I have taken more temperatures in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks than I care to admit. There you go. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. my own personal uh, my own personal little experience. All right, bring us up to speed on COVID globally here in the United States um, and what you're looking at right now. Well, I think what's really kind of on everyone's minds that's really been tracking the data so far is we've seen a significant number of spikes in the south and the southwest over the past couple of weeks here. And more recently, those spikes have actually led a lot of uh, lawmakers and uh, individuals making some of the bigger decisions to question whether or not we're opening certain segments of the economy too fast. Mm-hmm. And so most recently, the governor of Texas actually slowed down some of their reopening plans because of the number of spikes that they're seeing. So I was a little um, I'll just admit to you, I listened yesterday to Vice President um, Pence and others from the president's coronavirus task force uh, Mm -hmm. in a uh, in a conversation with the governor of Texas. And, you know, I was not surprised that everybody, everybody is all about wearing masks now. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing evidence um, that wearing masks is positive, both for the person wearing it and for obviously those around us. Um, but then I was a little baffled by some footage that I saw that earlier in the day, the vice president had been at First Baptist Church in Dallas. And there are hundreds of people in a choir, not social distancing, not with masks, singing very robustly. And a congregation not wearing masks, also not socially distanced. So um, a little bit of mixed messaging there. Yeah, masks are, it's kind of interesting, kind of how masks have really been taken over the last several weeks. There's been some stuff going out on social media recently where they're really kind of trying to talk about how uh, masks could actually cause more harm than good. There's been people putting those posts out there, some claiming that they're from OSHA and other other, uh, official entities and you know it's always going to be an interesting conversation when someone starts out and they say something akin to, I have a background in math and science, <laughs> which usually usually frames an interesting discussion because they're trying to justify everything that they say after that. Um, the problem is the, these aren't necessarily sources that have been vetted out well, and, and we're, we're not really being abstract readers. We're being readers of abstracts where we see these headlines and we just kind of stop there. We see these little posts and no one kind of takes that next step and says, is this the best source? Mm. Okay. So you are our expert and we do trust you. Um, You have all of the fancy uh, degrees and letters and you are actually engaged in this um, day to day on a regular basis. And so again, I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville university. We are getting an update on uh, what is happening with the coronavirus. When we come back, I'm going to ask, Zach, what are we beginning to understand about COVID that maybe we didn't understand um, early on? So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Paul, whatever that music is, I like it. All right, Zach Jenkins is back with us from Cedarville University. Um, Zach, what are we beginning to understand about COVID? It's been around long enough that, um, you know, people who look through microscopes know way more than they knew at the very beginning. So talk with us about what we're, what we're learning. Well, I think, I think something that's actually kind of surprising to me, but also a bit concerning, is the fact that in some of our asymptomatic cases, when they've looked at some of this, those folks, they've noticed that there is actually some lung damage that has occurred, even though those people had not necessarily expressed symptoms. Now, how many people that happens in, it's hard to say. 
And again, I think that's a place where we need more data to really back up that kind of claim. But it does make us kind of pause and question what we know about the virus. Um, so the pulmonologists and the cardiologists are going to have um, ongoing opportunity post-COVID because the damage, we, you and I have already talked about um, vascular concerns and issues related to this. And now we're talking about, um, you know, potentially damage to lungs um, as a residual. Is that a, I mean, I, I, what would the language here be? It's sort of an a- after the fact, that's something that people are going to be living with. I think residual is a pretty good word to describe that. Really, we're talking about um, some, some lung tissue scarring, mm. and that, that can actually last a, a little bit of time. And we're not really sure because we're still – they're actually actively studying what the long-term effects are of the virus, and that's just information we don't have readily available right now. Interesting. Okay, and then give us um, an update, if you can, on um, vaccines. So on the vaccine front – we still have the five candidates that they're pushing forward. There have been a couple of them that have entered into the, the phase three trials, which are the trials in larger populations of, of people. Um, thus far, none have really shown any significant side effects from being used when they've been looked at. Um, there are a lot of folks that I think are questioning how, how, how accurate that is given the speed that these things are being produced because this is unprecedented. Um, as far as trying to move these things through trials. Um, I know the FDA has made some statements about how they're not going to be changing any of their safety regulations on these on these vaccines. So they're they're standing in or I guess they're they're uh, putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to ease up. We, we want to make sure this is at least the safest thing that it can be before it hits the market. Um, but obviously, there will still be people that are kind of nervous about that if, if some of the some of these do hit the market. What's interesting, though, is there are a lot of new methods for vaccine development being tried. Um, I know that we're looking at seeing if we can just use the virus proteins that are produced as opposed to using the virus itself as one option. We're also There's also a lot of dialogue about using RNA, which is really kind of like uh, genetic information from the virus that tells the cell what it wants an infected cell to do. So we're looking at whether or not we could use that RNA instead of the virus itself to trigger an immune response and, and build up immunity. So those are a couple of more novel ways that, that we're looking at developing vaccines right now. And some of those actually have some good data behind them. So um, we heard Dr. Fauci say um, that a COVID-19 vaccine, this is not a direct quote, this is more like a summary of the quote, um, that the COVID-19 vaccine might not get us to herd immunity um, if too many people refuse to get it, to take the vaccine. So remind us um, what a vaccine does and doesn't do or may and may not do and what herd immunity is and why herd immunity is so important in relationship to, you know, sort of our future together as a people. <laughs> so so really what, what herd immunity is, is kind of like a shield that we create by having more people that are exposed to a virus up front. And one of the criticisms we had early on with some of the COVID lockdowns uh, really was, are we preventing that from happening by not letting the infection spread far enough? And that that's a fair criticism, but at the same time, that the thought was we wanted to prevent there from being huge surges that we couldn't medically manage. That, that was our, our big, big concern. That was but the whole the flatten idea- the curve thing. 
that I was the whole flatten the curve thing. So flatten the curve was not that 80% of the population is not eventually going to get this. It was we can't have 80% of the population getting it really fast. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, so, so now we're at the stage where we have to determine like what rate the population could be exposed to things while trying to make sure that we keep people as medically well as we can. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the balancing act that we're playing right now. Um, so the idea is if more people are actually exposed and develop some kind of immunity to the virus than other people who may be less prone to having immunity will be protected because there'll be less people carrying the virus around. That's at least the thought. The, the idea from what a vaccine does is it prevents you from getting a virus, but then it also potentially will protect those who maybe can't receive the vaccine or perhaps uh, are, are less prone to developing immunity from the vaccine itself. Okay. And then um, a question uh, from a listener. Do I need to worry about the dust cloud? <laughs> this has nothing to <laughs> That's do a very fair with COVID, right? <laughs> But I think it's a fair question, like, right? So in, if we weren't in, um, in the, the COVID reality that we're in, we might be talking more about the respiratory effects of a big dust cloud. So can you weigh in on that, doctor? Sure. So, so the concern is, you know, we have a lot of dust coming in from the Sahara, which we see every year. But this year apparently is going to be a worse year for the amount of dust that we're seeing. Um, so, so could that cause issues with 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 respiration i say there's always a possibility if you have asthma or a significant copd that it could cause a flare-up that that's actually fair um one other thing to kind of concern is we have some bacteria that like to live in the dirt and Mm -hmm. as that stuff kind of gets stirs up you can actually see those bacterial infections increase um you know in my area in in southwest ohio we have a lot of tornadoes in this, this region and when we see those tornadoes come through, we can actually see some of those different bacteria cause an increasing number of infections. So that's something that we could see. Okay. And then one more question um, from a listener. Um, are we going back to school? If so, who, when, and how? That's a really big question, <laughs> and it's probably really super geographic in nature. But maybe just some thoughts on um, this is probably a kid-related question. So sending kids back to school. So I'll answer that one from, from two perspectives. So my wife is a third grade teacher and I, you know, teach at the university as well. So the idea that, that we're having on both fronts from higher education and then from, uh, I guess the elementary level is schools are going to reopen. What that looks like is still being determined by the different states. And what we're seeing is some states haven't necessarily released all their guidance yet to the, the local school districts as far as what they would like them to do. Part of that is probably because they're waiting to see what the data looks like before they make a call. And they don't want to make a call too early and not have enough data and cause more problems than than solve. So that's a concern. There's a lot of discussion too about hybrid models of education where perhaps it may actually be partially electronic, partially in person. if, If that's kind of one thing that we have to move towards if we do see kind of a second wave hit. Um, there's been dialogue as well about are we going to have masks in some situations? Are there situations where masks won't be necessary? Uh, my wife has even heard tell that uh, in some cases, maybe they wouldn't necessarily allow some of the uh, like fine arts classes to occur, and they might kind of keep the kids just in that one classroom all day long. 
Right, and maybe they don't go to the cafeteria. I mean, our I know that our local yeah. school is talking about like delivering lunches to the rooms. So, all right, as always, it's a delight. Um, uh, thank you for ranging about with me across some headlines today that went beyond uh, maybe just specifically COVID, especially um, in relationship to, you know, dust. I, Thanks, man. That's super. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's Zach Jenkins. He's a professor at Cedarville University. He's also a frontline worker in the healthcare um, component of of who we are as a people. So let's just uh, remember to pray for those who are continuing to serve on the front lines. I know my friend Cindy, her husband is a pulmonologist in uh, in Houston. So let's be praying for everybody out there as cases continue to mount. All right. uh, Next up, I'm going to talk with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. But right now, we got to take a break for Greg Laurie. We'll be right back. All right. We got a number of uh, headlines that we have not covered yet this morning, and I want to. So what is going on uh, with General Flynn and the ongoing controversy related to um, related to him. Then we also have these policing reform bills. Um, I was very disappointed to see the uh, the bill um, put forward by Senator Tim Scott and others. Um, I was really sad to see that not uh, gain a major- gain significant enough support in the Senate to actually come to a vote. Um, and then we're going to also talk about what is going on at the Supreme Court, what we're waiting for in relationship to that. All that up next in a conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington. We'll be right back. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I've met a lot of Christian parents who want to follow that verse word for word, and I applaud that. The problem comes when these parents believe that simply taking their kids to church every weekend will guarantee a peaceful adolescence, as if kids who are raised in good Christian homes never have problems. Well, every one of the teens at Heartlight comes from a quote-unquote good Christian home. And if you think your child is going to be the exception, believe me, you'll be proven wrong. Train up your child in the way he should go. And also, prepare for the days he will struggle, because no family is immune. Do you have teenagers under your roof? Find more encouragement and helpful resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Again today, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. He tweets at Carrington AM. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back and welcome back yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Let's start with uh, General Flynn. First of all, is that the way I'm supposed to now be referring to him? Um, Because he has lots of uh, historic titles, but I think that once you're a general, you probably always are. So uh, so let's start with that. And then... um, where are we now in this story? Right. And I think it is general, by the way. I know I had a, a president of a school I went to who had been a judge uh, in the past, and, and and he was still judge so-and-so. So uh, I, I think that's right. Um, yeah, where, where we are in this increasingly convoluted uh, discussion, but the previously when we had discussed the Flynn case, it was about whether uh, he had been 
uh, in sort of entrapped into lying to the FBI and whether that was fair, whether that, you know, sort of unjust pressure was being put on. What's happened since is that the um, Department of Justice has determined that they want to no longer prosecute, no longer punish Flynn for the crimes he, he, he was convicted or he admitted to. And um, there is a, was a battle between the Justice Department, their prosecutors, and the judge of the case. Uh, and uh, par- part of what, what what's interesting legally about it is um, prosecutors, everyone agrees, can drop charges at any point while they're prosecuting a case, while the case is still ongoing, while guilt or innocence hasn't been determined. What happened here that I think is getting missed in some of the discussion is um, Flynn had pled guilty. So the guilt, that part had already been decided of guilt or innocence. And after the guilty plea, after the guilty plea was put in, the prosecutors wanted to drop the conviction, not drop just the charges. And uh, the debate was there was a law and there was a debate whether the judge could, in the case, could uh, stop that, could say, no, 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 there's already been a conviction, we're moving on, or whether they had to abide by their decision. What's now happened is a higher court has said uh, the judge does have to dismiss the charges. However, what's interesting is that judge seems to be waiting to see if uh, I think it can be appealed even higher, the question of whether he can force the conviction to go forward or whether the Department of Justice can just drop the charges. Uh, I will say I think the Department of Justice is going to win eventually, but that's the next convoluted step in this this uh, increasingly uh, uh, intertwining, uh, 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 elongating case. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard for most of us to understand. And, um, so thank you for, thank you for giving us a digest of it today. Um, really appreciate that. Okay. I was very disappointed that Senator Tim Scott's, um, uh, police reform bill, the justice, uh, the justice act, did not garner sufficient support in the Senate to move forward. Um, Can you remind us how this is supposed to work where, you know, the House does its business internally, the Senate does its business internally, and then both of those go um, to conference and we actually then end up with something that everybody can agree on. We can't get there unless the Senate actually votes on something and puts it forward. So can you help, can you remind us how this is supposed to work? And then, um, you know, because it didn't work this time. Yeah, there's a book about Congress that is probably the best titled book about Congress I've ever heard. It's called The Broken Branch. Mm. And I think that's very true. And by the way, whoever's in charge, Republican or Democrat, and yes, this is part of the broken process because uh, one chamber is supposed to pass their bill. Um, often that same bill will go to the other chamber or the other chamber will take up their own version. That's what happened. The latter is what happened here. And then, yes, uh, if they're different and they often are, they'll get in a conference, they'll send, um, a delegation, a, 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 you know, five or six senators, five or six house members, and they'll work out a bill that both chambers, or at least a majority of both chambers can agree on. And where that has broken down, at least so far in the Senate, is uh, really uh, the filibuster rule that uh, right now uh, you don't really have majority rule in the Senate. You have 
you have to have 60 people agree because what happens is to end debate and get to a vote, uh, you have to have 60 votes, not 51. And uh, uh, the, 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 the Senate Democrats, to be honest right now, are unwilling to move to that next step. They're unwilling to work through this process to try to make the bill better in, in, in the normal way. And by the way, I, I, you know, the filibuster was set up as a way to protect debate, to allow everyone to get their say uh, before debate ended and they voted. What it's been turned into is a way of letting a minority of the Senate uh, keep a majority from 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 voting on what they think is the best thing for the country. And I think that's what's happened here. Not that, you know, the Scott bill is perfect or the Democrats bill is perfect, but the process to try to make both better has been undercut by the abuse of of, of the um, of the of this rule about uh, filibusters. OK, I will I will say I appreciated Tim Scott's um, speech on this. I realize that that was now, you know, six days ago or something like that. But um, just encourage people, if you have not had an opportunity to hear him, um, you can actually just go to his Senate website, scott.senate.gov, and listen to the speech that Tim Scott delivered on the floor of the Senate um, advocating for this legislation on police reform across America. This this was the GOP, you know, proposal. um, And and Tim is not only a good guy, he's a brother in Christ, and um, I think he's I think he's frustrated. Um, I hear him in interviews yesterday sounding very, very frustrated that uh, the process is not working like it should. Okay, um, can we pivot from, um, from Congress to another branch? Talk with us about what's going on at the Supreme Court. I think you are characterizing it as a waiting game. Yes. uh, And this happened last year, but this year even worse because they had to push back um, some of the arguments that they hear before they make any decisions into May. Normally they finish all their business in April or at least all their arguments, and then they spend May and June finishing up opinions. So there are now 13 opinions left, and typically they finish before the 1st of July. So today and tomorrow, a bunch of cases are going to come down, possibly all of them. And uh, and, and I think uh, if people are interested, they really should look this morning at 10 a.m. is when, when a batch are coming out, because uh, a couple of the oldest cases, the cases that have take that are, have been sitting the longest with the court, are uh, the abortion case out of Louisiana, the June medical case, and uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at that as sort of tea leaves as to where the court might stand on bigger abortion questions like Roe v. Wade. Uh, it's a smaller issue in this instance, but uh, people are going to be reading for what it says about the broader direction of the court on that. And uh, another is uh, this religious liberty case out of Montana, where uh, the ability uh, to fund uh, 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 through tax through for people to voluntarily move their tax dollars to help fund religious schools that are educating uh, underprivileged uh, children. Uh, whether that's constitutional or not, or whether you can, you know, uh, whether that's demanded by free exercise, that's coming out. Uh, and then also, this is this was argued in May, 
but any moment we could get the Little Sisters of the Poor case, um, where uh, the question is, uh, it, did the it, it was the uh, did the president and the administration properly protect them from being forced to uh, provide uh, either abortion or uh, birth control services that go against their religious beliefs? So those are the really big ones. Any of those could come out this morning. In fact, I'd be surprised if at least one of those three that I'm sure the listeners are are interested in to to some degree, I'd be surprised if one of those does doesn't come out this morning. All right. And again, that um, those rulings are going to be issued at 10 Eastern, which is nine central. Uh, I find a good place to watch SCOTUS blog. SCOTUS mm-hmm. stands for Supreme Court uh, uh, United States. So um, SCOTUSblog.com. Uh, Dr. Adam Carrington and I will be right back. All right, returning to my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Um, all right, Adam, we have talked a little bit about um, Congress. We have talked a little bit about the Supreme Court. So let's pivot to concerns related to the executive branch. Um, obviously, we are really gearing up now for a November election. Um, and I would say it's as unclear as it has ever been. Um, whether or not the incumbent president um, even ultimately chooses to run. I mean, I think he's running, but his comments to Sean Hannity on Thursday night sure did make it sound like um, there's the possibility that this is this is just not fun. And I mean, I think we all know that. Um, I think we've all seen that happening. What What's your reaction to some of the things that you have been hearing in relationship to um, the president's reelection campaign, as well as um, your sort of observations about the, uh, you know, presumptive nominee of the Democrats, uh, Joe Biden, who, you know, really has yet to come out of uh, sort of COVID quarantine and make any real campaign moves. Yeah, and I think uh, with with, with uh, Vice Pre- former Vice President Biden, uh, his cautious strategy is that the president has not been he's not the president. Tr- president Trump has not had many good news cycles recently. Mm. And even by his own admission, in some ways, the idea is get out of the way if your opponent is struggling. Uh, that strategy can't last forever. And one question of how uh, smart that campaign is going to be is do they know when to pivot, when when they're going to really have to step up and step out? Uh, uh, and I, I think with the, with the president, obviously, uh, this is seems to be a low point, or at least he, they better hope it's low point. Uh, the polling is really bad, uh, so bad that even if there's a mistake in the polling, it, it, it really wouldn't make up the difference. Uh, he's struggling again to have positive news coverage. Um, uh, he's been seen widely to have mishandled certain uh, of the major crises. You know, it's certainly not all his fault, but he's at least not seen as been being positive. Um, uh, and so I think that um, and I think your your last point that you brought up is there seems to be from some of the interviews, a lack of uh, fire in the belly uh, that he really seems to be not loving uh, the day-to-day job. And sometimes it's one thing to run for president. It's another thing to be president. And some men 
our love and are great at both. Some men don't always love both jobs. And I think the president has likes campaigning better than being president. That doesn't mean he's not, you know, doing things and trying to be there. So I think going into the future, uh, um, I think he is about as in trouble as any incumbent's been since 1992 with George H.W. Bush. That said, uh, we are living in such uh, things are swinging so fast between uh, a, a, a recession, um, between a, a pandemic, which may come back, may not, uh, with uh, the, the protests and, 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 and the question of uh, uh, racial tensions with the George Floyd killing. Right now, the election were held today. I am very confident uh, Joe Biden would win. But. Um, so much changes so quickly that uh, I, I would not count anything out till till the fall. I think what does have to happen is uh, the president's going to have to get more on message if he wants to win. Uh, he's going to have to uh, make the economic case uh, much better, but uh, he's not doing those things right now. So I, I would definitely, if I was handicapping, give it to uh, Biden right now. But as you said, so much is changing. I would not uh, I would not, uh, you know, uh, make any definitive declaration at this point. One of the things, Adam, that we, you know, always observe is that elections matter. And elections don't just matter in relationship to the president. Um, the president brings with them at least a second person on the ticket, but then thousands of other um, federal positions uh, which the president fills and appoints. And so when we talk about elections mattering, we're talking about not only the entirety of the executive branch, we're also talking about elections mattering um, because it is the president of the of the United States who nominates um, prospective Supreme Court justices should there be vacancies uh, on the bench. And then we also talk about, obviously, elections mattering in relationship to to Congress, both houses, um, because, you know, that's where laws are made. And we've talked about the dis- the current dysfunction there. Um, I guess this is more just like a reminder to all of our listeners. You know, it, we, we need to be ardently praying for those who are currently in leadership. And we need to be praying for this election cycle because elections really do matter. Like America is in crisis. Yeah, I would say uh, John Calvin uh, uh, said that. Be- that that being a magistrate or being a, a a political leader of a country is below actual vocational ministry, below like working directly in and for the church, is the most sacred and important task God has given on earth, actually. And, and I'm not saying you have to, anyone, everyone has to agree with that, but his point was how important to the common life we have together um, uh, political pol- political leadership is because it's about how we organize ourselves as a community. It's about how we live together in this world as we wait and pray for the world to come. And and therefore, you're right. We should we should be uh, praying and thinking about them. Uh, 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 it, it, no matter whether we whoever we support or whoever we disagree with, uh, that we that they would uh, uh, bring about justice. That they would be awakened where they have injustice. That they would be strengthen where they have it. Um, so I think that's a very good reminder. Okay, Professor, um, here's an assignment b- between now and when we talk the next time. Um, I really want to ha- really start having a robust conversation about the truth and history and how we teach history as we become aware of, uh, 
of truth that we either didn't know or didn't acknowledge. Um, because I feel like as we move forward in this conversation, particularly about um, the experience of uh, of racial minorities in this country, um, people are learning new things about the history of the country. And then there are also people who are trying to um, teach us things that aren't even true about history. And so can I give you that assignment between now and when we talk next and tee that up, a conversation about truth-telling and history? I would love that. I think that's very needed. It's something that, uh, especially on the issue of slavery, uh, I spend a lot of time talking with my students every semester in our U.S. Constitution class. So I, I, I would love to do that. I think that's that's sorely needed for the reasons you were saying. All right. I'm putting it in my notes for the next time we talk. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. We'll be right back. We have so much uh, ground to cover. And so I just want to remind everybody to take a deep breath today. If you have not already spent some time in the word of God, it's imperative. It's imperative that we be in the word before we walk out into the world that God so loves, seeking to live in ways and speak in ways that honor Jesus. And so uh, circling back around to where we started uh, our conversation today, I know that uh, I have a listener out there who is um, who's struggling with in-laws and the challenges that um, the marriage of, of those who are a generation older than us, because I was talking about taking the fifth commandment seriously as adults. Like, what does it look like as adults for us to continue to honor um, our parents? And what does that, uh, how does that translate into our life together? And so let me just say to you, if you're struggling with, um, with your own parents or with your in-laws, um, this is not new. This is not a new struggle. And so, you know, we can turn to uh, the Bible for counsel as always. Um, God has not only our best interest in mind, but his own glory in mind. And so let's till the soil of the Word of God today uh, as we seek to apply it to our lives and our life together. we got another hour ups and up next. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.